it's Jennifer here and welcome to another episode of the Discussions That Create podcast. Um, I will be your host for this podcast and I have another amazing magical friend in the universe joining <laughs> me <laughs> again today um, for this podcast and her name is Mona Green and um, she is a life coach. Uh, that is like the least of what she does but it is a big part of it. Um, she is an amazing life coach, an amazing advocate for change on this planet and her company Namas Me is about bridging three main things together which is art, activism, I'm going to mess up, I know I am, so why do, I'm just going to ask Mona to, to, to introduce herself and tell me more because, tell us more because she is the only person who knows who she really is, so. First and foremost, Jennifer, I'm super excited to be here, thank you for the invitation. Um, I, I love the idea of chatting with a peer uh, about what's present and, and seeing where that will take us. Um, yes, my name is Mona Green. I am the founder and CEO of a company called Namasme, where we are at the intersection of personal development, services, activism, and art. Um, it is our philosophy that um, happy is better, yes, but happy and productive and purposeful in society is a lot better. Um, meaning um, it's important for us to engage uh, the path of personal development, but it's more important for us to do that, understanding that we're a part of a much bigger societal narrative taking place right now and that we do the work not just for us, but we do the work for each other and for the world that we're wanting to see. So that's essentially kind of my, my work and company in a nutshell. Oh, wow. And do you do one-to-one -one sessions with people in that? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I know that you do public speaking, which we'll talk about mm -hmm. soon. And um, what else do you, do you sort of offer in your range of services with Namaste? So I, I do workshops. I do one-on-one -on -one, uh, deep dive coaching, which is usually anywhere around four to six months. Um, I do corporate style day-long retreats or um, team building activities. I do a lot of motivational uh, speaking like you mentioned, but I also like getting involved in art projects that are meant to create um, a shift, uh, an actual shift in consciousness for the people involved. So. Um, I have a couple of things in the pipeline that are pretty much just art projects, but that happen to have elements of personal development and activism in, in included. So they fall nicely into that bigger umbrella of stuff that I do. Oh my God, it's so exciting. Yeah, I saw this amazing um, event that you put on with, was it six other women? And you were all mm -hmm. representing um, an archetype of the divine feminine is that correct? Could you tell us a little bit about that, please? Absolutely. That was that was a beautiful, magical thing that um, came together last year. And essentially, it was, um, it, it was seven of us 
each of us holding one of the archetypes of the divine feminine, but also a chakra and all, and, um, the archetypes coming through the lens of an ascended master. So what we did is we put together an evening, which began with, uh, a seven course meal designed for each of the chakras by a Michelin star chef, uh, a vegan Michelin star chef. So trying to keep the, the, whole evening really high vibe in the sense of first engaging your senses and waking up your body through communing with the food. Um, and each of the plates was designed for the chakra that it was representing. So you could see that in the color or you could see that in the spices used or whatever. So there was a lot of intention put into that. Then we had a ritual uh, theater performance where each of us performed uh, or rather transmitted whatever it was that that specific chakra or ascended master um, felt like to us. And then the evening ended with an ecstatic dance uh, portion where, you know, people got down and boogied and, and after receiving all of that energy and those codes and transmissions got to just have some fun, you know? Um, and it was, it was beautiful to collaborate with sisters on it. It was beautiful to also witness um, this awakening of the divine feminine, uh, finding its way into art and into food and starting to also find its way more into culture and society and us being able to offer this and not have people be like, what? but rather embrace it with, with curiosity and um, yeah. And, and openness that I hadn't experienced before when I, when I go to that more woo place of my life. Yeah, so yeah. Really mm -hmm. well, you find that. So I, I knew I've, I recognize this because you and I, people may not know this, but Mona and I actually uh, lived in Ubud at the same time a couple of years ago. And that's where we met. We didn't, we did, we, we met, we saw, we danced, we were in the kind of, the ballet flow as we call it. And obviously for like, uh, there's going to be new people listening to this podcast. There's going to be all types of people from all walks of life. And we were in this kind of like very niche, <laughs> almost like culture, which is totally our vibe. And you can be so like, as you say, like, woo woo and out there and we're all talking about goddess and what does it mean in the universe but you're saying so people came to that, that amazing experience who were not solely in these types of communities is that what you're saying right i mean we yeah. had we had somebody fly in from canada to see this because she had seen something on Instagram that one of the ladies posted and that piqued her interest. But then she started doing a little bit of research and her curiosity about this concept of the divine feminine prompted her to buy a ticket, not just to the show, but a plane ticket to come and, and, and witness it firsthand. So it was a really beautiful way of also introducing this, this way of life or these philosophies to a broader audience you know i live in la and what i think is beautiful about living here is, and and the opportunity that i'm identifying is if you really think about it la is 
one of the epicenters, if not the epicenter for the creation of culture, at least in a pop sense, right, for the world. Whatever gets created here has the advantage of being disseminated far and wide on a world platform. So I find it really cool that this conversation is now finding its way into the LA landscape because that means sooner rather than later, a lot of this stuff is going to be spread all over the world, which I find really exciting. Yeah. Well, you know, LA, like I have been spent some time there and LA is kind of like this massive hub of creativity and you like you say it for me it's like America is quite an like it represents a lot of extremes and then LA is kind of like amplified times a million <laughs> it's like you can, find, you can find everything there yeah the yeah and the ugly and it's a wonderful ride and it's amazing yeah so, yeah. Um, so, Mona, I'd like to ask you a bit more about, so you said to me just before we jumped on here that your main focus for the work that you do and who you are, well, maybe you didn't say who you are in the world, but I get that sense, is, and you said to me, is contribution. So can you talk a bit, because that word is, is being used more commonly in language now, which is wonderful. And also I get the sense that we don't, always know exactly what that means so what does it mean to you what does contribution look like to you how does it feel how does it present itself in your life ah beautiful question and and also thank you for phrasing it in the way that you did because you're, you're making answer it answering it easier um and you alluded to the language that we use and that was the, the, the big sticking point for me. You know, I've been on what could easily be described as a relentless path of personal development in my own experience for the last 15 years. My biggest project for the last 15 years has been getting really intentional about who I am as a person and getting to a point where I like who I am and I like the work that's being put out in the world. And as part of that process, I've essentially thrown myself into communities that thrive on this idea of personal development. Um, there's a lot of talk of contribution. You know, I know a lot of coaches, I know a lot of healers, I know a lot of people in this space that um, talk a lot about it myself included. Um, but I, I couldn't help that, uh, but notice that in my work up till just a few months ago, there was something missing. And the thing that was missing was the fact that, yes, I, I knew that I was helping people and my clients, I, I do really good work with my clients. I feel very proud of the work that I do with my clients, but that the approach was starting to feel a little bit me, 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 me. Um, and a lot of the literature out there and a lot of the language around this idea of personal development, if you really play, pay close attention, it's like, be your happiest self, be your best self, be your most abundant self, channel your inner goddess, you know, 
develop the tools to make six figures or whatever. And I couldn't help but wonder and ask myself, you know, what is this all for? Like, why are we trying to be better people? What's the point? Because you know what? I got to a point in my life years ago where I'm pretty happy with who I am. I, I love me. I'm, I'm, I'm having fun. I feel purposeful or whatever. But after some time, even just coaching started feeling a little bit meh mm-hmm. because I'm earning a living from it. And I was gauging the fact that I was having impact directly with the people that I was working with as enough. But I, I started feeling the call to do more. And I started also connecting with other types of teachers, less coaches and more philosophers, more traditional guru types, um, and realizing that so much of the rhetoric that these people use is very service-based and service-centric. The people who I most admire in the world of personal development aren't the ones that are putting themselves in the forefront of the discussion. They're putting whatever work it is that they're doing at the forefront of the discussion. Yes. They're not the people that are posting a million selfies in a, in, in a row and you know giving you an inspirational quote to justify the selfie, not that there's anything wrong with the selfie per se, but it's like, what's the focus here? Is the focus the individual or is the focus the message or the work? And I realized that I, for one, could do some work to to bringing those two more in alignment. And I realized that I wanted to contribute more because this work is very noble, but it also puts you in that mind frame of, me, 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 what's going on with me? How can I be better? How can I be more abundant? How can I, 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 me, me, me? And it's very easy for us to forget that we do this work because we're here to contribute. Mm-hmm. So even the language that we use around the work that we're doing has framed it as such in a way that makes it easy for us to forget that we're here to contribute. Look at the world right now. We need to be doing the work for something bigger than just ourselves. And the satisfaction that comes from standing for something bigger and the fulfillment that comes from something bigger is that much deeper and stronger. So yeah, that's, that's kind of the, the idea behind the message that I'm running with and, and why contribution is so important to me. Because at the end of the day, it ain't about me. You know, in, in the cosmic soup, I'm not even a speck. <laughs> I barely fucking register. Sorry for the profanity, but <laughs> <It's> okay. <laughs> you know, my life, my life is going to be incredibly meaningful and meaningless at the same time. Yeah. So why not make it about something bigger than myself? And does that bring you more joy and happiness? Because from what I, I mean, that is amazing what you just shared with us and the energy behind that and I really get that from you and I really get what you're saying. It's like, actually, that is for us because we can't be truly fulfilled and truly happy if we're not looking at the bigger why. And that's what I found very, well, everyone's different. Some people, you know, they're just at the level of consciousness they're at, but this podcast is definitely waking up some things for people. And it's like, yeah, I, I, I can't be happy if I'm living just in my own selfish needs because that's not actually good for me anyway. 
You know, it's right. like kind of giving a child, you know, because they're demanding like something that's not good for them and you just give in to them and let them have it. And then they're sick or they're unwell because that thing wasn't good for them. It's like, oh, we don't always know what's actually going to work for us. <laughs> like in that moment, right. sometimes we get pulled into this person's agenda, this person's way to do it. And um, I find from my personal experience, Mona, is that when I was in service, my material life and all of that, it, it did flow more easily. And I've stepped out of it and into it again and got caught up in all this. You have to do this. You have to make money. You have to do this. And then um, it's just it's just constantly changing. Um, but yeah, I, I don't want to rabbit, rabbit on because I know you've got a lot more to share with us. So, but I, I think you've, you, you've honed in on something really interesting and sorry for interrupting, but this is so big because it's, I think the key word in what you're talking about is flow. And our lives are nothing if not energetic conversations. And when you keep the focus so much on yourself, your life start, stops flowing and it starts becoming stagnant because your world becomes very you-centric. So there isn't that flow. You're interrupting the natural way that things are supposed to be moving in and out of your life. Um, and it also becomes more pressured. It makes every decision that you make feel so damn important when oftentimes it's not. You know, when your problems are feeling big, just make your world a little bit bigger and you realize they're not that big. <laughs> um, so it's also an invitation for joy to come into your life. It's like, whoa, I'm taking myself a little too seriously now. <laughs> let me, let me recontextualize, see myself as a bigger, as, as a small part of something bigger. And let me not take this all so seriously either. Let me take it so seriously that I learned to not take it as seriously. If that makes yeah. any sense. It does. And then, when you talk about the philosophers and the sort of gurus and the teachers that you've been drawing inspiration from, who is currently the person that is talking to you the most or the people that are talking to you the most? Apart from yourself, of course. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, you know, it might be because he, he passed away relatively recently, but Ram, Ram Das, um, as, as, and energy really speaks to me um, because he's the way that he speaks um, very clearly peels away the layers of things that don't matter. And he goes straight to, to just that truthful place. And he navigates that truthful place really, really well. What do I mean by that? and I, I don't know if this has been your experience, but in my experience, all the great truths are paradoxes. Mm. You know, I said one of them a little bit earlier, which is, you know, everything matters and nothing matters. Mm. Um, and what I love about Ram Das and his approach is in that dance, you can go either direction. You can, <laughs> you know, let that become something that cages you in and makes you really nihilistic about things where it's just like oh man 
nothing matters, so why should I care? But everything matters and stresses you out. Or it can be a place that leads you to ultimate freedom, which is really where, where, what I find Ram Dass is masterful at creating is that moment of, okay, so none of it matters, but all of it matters. So let me choose a way of relating to this in a way that feels empowering, fun, joyful, and loving. I am a loving awareness. If I get to decide what that story is, then let me pick a story that feels good and that creates good and that gives everybody the benefit of the doubt. Um, so I'm really resonating with, with his stuff. Um, and there are gurus that I resonate with that lately have come under the microscope a little bit for how they showed up as humans. Um, mm -hmm. I think that's a really interesting thing to consider also in these discussions. It's, you know, where do we understand that even the guru is human and even the guru carries a shadow and even the guru um, has a filter that we as individuals are responsible for seeing and, and admitting with a grain of salt. Yes. Um, I just happen to resonate with Ram Dass's filter a lot because if you listen to some of his... So much. He doesn't, he's not. Right. And he's really good about, yeah. Right. And he's good about owning his own his shit. shit. Yes. <laughs> he talks about it openly. Yeah. I get that. I get that. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. And then for me, it's like I, you know, because I'm more and more getting involved in an in organization called Access Consciousness now and letting go of a lot of the old spiritual paradigms and ways of healing that I, I used to do and I used to follow simply because it's just a raising of consciousness, embracing everything about me, the parts that I judge, the parts that I hate even, and getting really clear on the fact that I can be a really functional human, I can have material things because that's been a struggle for me, allowing that into my life and can have the life on the outside and the inside that I choose. Mm -hmm. and right. And go ahead. Sorry. No, no, I'm, you please. <laughs> no, so uh, that's, that's a beautiful place to be. I find myself somewhere really similar at the moment where, you know, I grew up um, privileged and, um, there were phases of my life that were very much dominated by the more materialistic external conversation. I had an experience with my dad um, where he got sick and eventually, you know, ended up, we ended up taking care of him at home. Then he passed away. And that was the, the, the moment where there was a shift in awareness facilitated inside of my being that prompted me to ask those bigger questions. And when I did, the pendulum swung the complete opposite direction, which was money's evil. None of this is real. I need very little to be happy. Uh, so I will not aspire to have anything other than the bare minimum to survive. And for a good number of years, really focused so much on my spiritual path that I did just the right amount to keep things afloat. Yeah. Just enough. You know, didn't try very hard because that wasn't the priority. And I'm finding myself coming to a moment where I'm realizing that 
though that approach sounds very noble, um, it, it doesn't really do it either. You know, there, there is something to be said for beauty as a language. There is something to be said for actually allowing yourself to receive abundance. And a lot of the spiritual philosophy out there, I think, does a really pretty job at painting the idea of scarcity in a spiritual way that then enables people to not get responsible over, over 3D things like their financial well-being. Yeah. Um, woke and broke is not a conversation, is not, you know, <laughs> uh, is not really woke. Well, it's not conscious, is it? Because if you see, you know, how much change can you create with Namaste, with, you know, your own life when you're allowing monetary abundance and cash to flow in and out and circulate it's a currency it's an energy and um yeah so I, I i wanted to touch upon something you said so um i've had a few friends who like i was brought up in a very comfortable way um but not priv- i wouldn't say i was privileged like I, I i always had jobs my parents are very generous and they have good jobs um, but it's like I wasn't like super super wealthy or rich or anything. Mm-hmm. Middle class, we call it in the UK, right? Um, so I always wanted to work. I always got that. And then I had, um, yeah, a few people in my life who did that thing with the three sixty with or or the one eighty, whatever you call one eighty, where they were there. They were very privileged, and then it was almost not fun for them anymore. So they tried the other thing and my mum said to me once she said um that's uh um what did she say she said that is uh a luxury of the privilege to be able to do that because when you grow up in survival and and just wanting to make it um, you really wouldn't have that choice available to you you know and mm-hmm. i don't think it's a wrong choice and i don't think it's wrong Either way, I think it was probably awareness as well. Like, what else can I create here in my life without, yeah, you know, being just always having everything met? For me, when I have pushed myself to the edge, which isn't really kind to me, but for some reason I chose to do it, a lot of the times I would have to break through something huge within me to reach the next level. Mm-hmm. And now I realize I can choose something different. But for a long time, that's how I was functioning. Like you say, like I was like on the edge, just just making it because there were things I couldn't see. And that pain was almost like that disease, that discomfort, especially with money and with scarcity and all that control stuff. It pushed me into a new level of, of my being. So, Oh, absolutely. And, and those big awarenesses, also can become addictive so then we create a story whereby we become spiritual fucking masochists where if i'm not suffering and generating this massive awareness that i'm not i'm not advancing i'm not doing the work and you know what the biggest (laughs) aha moment in the last maybe two years for me has been Allowing things to be easy, not judging my path as better or worse just because it was different than somebody else's, right? I think Jim Carrey nailed it when he said, you know, 
I wish more people would go through, through the process of making it and having everything to realize that that's not it. Because if you're, if you're attacking the beast quote in quotes from that direction, then making it becomes that destination that you're striving for a lack of it. Um, And it, and, and it keeps it easy to keep, it, it makes it easy for you to stay in the consciousness that you need to inhabit to make it something external. Yes. You know, I, I've coached both self-made people and people who were born into privilege and feel the guilt of that being the case. Mm. They're like, I've been given everything. I shouldn't be feeling the way that I'm feeling. Well, oh. guess what? You, it's not just your shit that you're cleaning up. <laughs> it's generations of, of a trauma and things that are in your being. It's your environment. And so instead of allowing your starting point to be the determining factor for your journey, it's a lot more interesting and powerful for you to just decide and accept where it was that it is that you started so that you can finally chart your course. You can't chart your course if you don't know where you stand. For sure. And if you're judging where you stand and and burning all of your energy on that, then that's valuable energy that could have been used to do something productive with your time and with your work. Yeah. And it's much more of a judgeable offense, as, as we sometimes call it, to be privileged in this world than it is to be broke and just making it. You know, how much do people get <laughs> a lot of the time, yeah, get a lot from, from that. So anyway, let's move, let's uh, move to something else um, because the, sound started to go a bit funny and that's a sign to me <laughs> that maybe it's time for something else and um, so what would I like to ask you now what project is it that you're working on right now that you're most excited about that you're happiest in <laughs> mm, I'm wondering if I want to talk about it yet hold on let me think about this <laughs> uh I don't want to talk about what's cooking, yes. but I can, t- I can talk to you about something that was just put out of the oven that I felt really good about. Um, yes. And that was an opportunity with the Grammys. Um, yes. I was recently asked if I wanted to contribute to uh, the gift bag in the Grammys and anything goes, I mean, everything from, you know, a new iPhone to a motorized skateboard to a pair of sunglasses, um, nutritional stuff. It's essentially the bag that is given to everybody who was a nominee and to all of the heads of the Recording Academy who are involved in the Grammy organization. And um, when I was asked if I wanted to contribute something, something inside of me was really excited about that opportunity, but my, my brain was like, that's I mean, whatever, that's kind of silly and it doesn't sound like a good um, opportunity. But I realized, well, wait a minute, this is actually the perfect place for you to do exactly what it is that you're preaching. Because the Grammys is music, it's art. Mm. It, It has that portion kind of on lockdown. How can I bring this idea of service and, um, personal development into the mix in a way that makes sense 
for this particular opportunity that has presented itself. And I came up with an idea called the Namaste Forest Trust. And each of the nominees received a little olive tree sapling from me with a card that invited them to becoming uh, to become benefactors of the Forest Trust. And that meant two things. That meant that they had to plant the little tree because they had to help out with making the world greener. But that in exchange for that, that I would coach somebody that they care about for free. Not them, but somebody else. So essentially giving them the opportunity to be of service to somebody else and to the planet and creating that moment, hopefully, of awareness, right? It's like, okay, well, who is it? Yeah, who, who is it in this bag that could create a moment where it wasn't here? Let me just give you free stuff for being famous or for being accomplished or for oh, being talented. It was, I, wanted, I wanted to create that breath and that moment of pause where it's like, oh, shit, okay. I can do somebody, something nice for somebody else and I can take this little piece of nature and contribute to what's very clearly a problem that we have right now, which is climate change. So that was a little something that I worked on that I found super exciting and, and really a reflection of, of everything that I'm wanting to do moving forward. Um, I have a couple of things cooking um, that I'm also excited about that, that have that merger of those three elements. But um, I, I would rather wait to talk about those when, when they're a little further along, if that's okay. Well, of course. Oh my God, that is amazing. It's great to be able to really hear directly from you, your full intention and the thought, because I obviously saw, you know, some of your posts and the photos and I thought, wow, that's great. And I read the card she posted a photo of it on social media and I didn't quite receive the impact of that until you just said it so thank you so much and that is just beautiful and also uh, I guess you chose olive trees because in Southern California they're not going to dry out and die <laughs> so you even right. That. <laughs> right and and also just symbolically you know you're extending an olive branch you're giving an olive tree wow. it's also a tree that produces fruit that can be nourishing. I mean, there are so many metaphors available with this thing that the deeper I thought about it, the more I was like, <laughs> yes, I want to be involved in this, you know? Um, and it, it was also an invitation for my inner artist to come on online a little bit. So I collaborated with a friend of mine on the design for the card and the writing of it. I really allowed myself to to be in that space and to not think of it so much as a transaction, but a moment where a seed could be planted. Even if nothing comes from that seed, I think it's important for us to start seeing our interaction with the world in any way, an opportunity for us to plant seeds for the world that we want to see. Mm. Yeah. And, and, you know, I've already had a couple of benefactors come on online and it's beautiful to see that, Whoever it was that these people were, were moved to the point where it was like, okay, this is cool. My first benefactor was Chrissy Teigen, you know, um, and, and oh, yes. the, um, that for me was, was huge because I actually, I follow her. I think she's great. I, I love that she owns herself, her life in a very transparent. John Legend, doesn't she? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Cool. 
Mm -hmm. So, I mean, you live in a, in, in a world of possibility, Mona, and you've been able to open, you know, little windows of, of your life and your plans and, and what you've been able to already create and generate on this planet with us. Um, and I am really, really inspired. And I'd like to ask you a little bit more about how you see things progressing for us as, as humans, because I, I think you have information that we require about that. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for that. <laughs> um, I think it's a really exciting time to be alive. Um, if, if you pay attention to the patterns that we see in history and to some kind of spiritual texts out there, we're entering a phase where essentially the, pol the polarization that we're seeing happening right now um, it's kind of a necessary component of life doing its thing and consciousness evolving the way that it needs to conscious. If we really are going up this spiral of consciousness, we can't, we can't grow without something falling apart. In physics, there are two types of energy. There's anabolic energy, which is the, the energy of creation, and there's catabolic energy, which is the energy of destruction of death and a dismantling. I feel like I would describe where we are now as a very necessary catabolic process yes. where our way of being, our way of acting, thinking, etc., in the world is proving to us that it is no longer sustainable. And that polarization that we're seeing are, is, is a consequence of the fear and, and, light created from that process, right? Because when something's dismantled, a lot of energy is now all of a sudden available for creation. So we have a faction of people waking up and realizing, holy shit, we need to change mm -hmm. and, and taking a stance for, for light and taking a stance for creative pursuits and being the change that they want to see. And we have another faction of people who are scared because this dismantling is taking place because in one way or another, they may have benefited from the system and desperately trying to hold on because different registers as less scary than familiar. And it's going to keep, you know, it's going to keep going in that direction for a little bit. But I think where, consciousness and light will win is in the sense that there is nothing more seductive or powerful than joy. True. Period. Mm -hmm. When you become, pardon the expression, unfuckwithable to the point where you're no longer um, influenced by the rhetoric of fear and consumerism and all of these things that have helped enabled us to get to this kind of toxic point yeah they, they can't sell you anything anymore yeah and so the system itself starts falling apart and you you're just doing your thing and by default being in the world as your happy go lucky fulfilled self people are going to start asking themselves geez i wonder what it is that they're doing mm-hmm 
and opening those lines of inquiry. And those are the seeds that I'm talking about. It's like you can be effective at, at creating a change by just being a happy person who is comfortable and fulfilled and doesn't need any of that external validation. But if you are at that point, it is your responsibility to do more. So I'm seeing a really heavy and beautiful activation here in LA of people who want to work in the media and infiltrate the media with these messages of light and joy because they understand the power that it has to continue shifting it in a positive direction. Yes. You know, it's very easy for us to get caught up in how much everything sucks right now mm -hmm. and how our political process, particularly in this country and in your country, has turned into a joke. Yeah, and joke. fine, plenty of evidence to support that. Mm -hmm. But I'm not interested in fighting anything. No. I'm interested in creating something that's so fucking irresistibly joyful. <laughs> That the people who come on board, come on board willingly. Oh. And I'm not wasting time trying to resist anything. Nope. And, and my, my very optimistic self sees it that way. And because of that, it, it, it's the work I'm doing isn't heavy. It doesn't feel taxing. It doesn't feel tiring. And it doesn't feel like I'm sacrificing anything because... I'm using joy as the vehicle to do that through. Wow. And I think that's available to all of us. All we have to do is, is realize that and befriend our fear. Let our fear inform our process in a productive way and not in an inhibitory way. Right. Because fear isn't really real anyway. At the end of Exactly. <laughs> exactly. We spend a lot of time wasting on it. Uh, I my, I always go back to my favorite quote, Marianne Williamson, it is, uh, our greatest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our greatest fear, our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. It is our light, not our dark darkness, which frightens us most. And I just think that is, and a lot of people misquoted, um, I know Marianne used to live in LA and was very active in LA and I met her there a couple of times, but um, anyway going off on a tangent but uh, a lot of people misquoted that because Nelson Mandela said it in a famous speech but it was my mm -hmm. so um I, I I can perceive that maybe we're starting to starting to wind wind down our conversation mm -hmm. um, I am really really grateful that we had this discussion because it has created more in my life and I really I'm like blown away by what you shared today oh, and I'm so grateful you. that we could just have this interaction and now other people can receive it as well so is there anything else you would just is on your heart mm. like you just wanted Whew. well in my heart is a lot of gratitude for you for for the invitation and for creating a container where where just the information could flow so, so easily and so lovingly too. It's a testament to who you are as a person and the work that you're doing. So thank you for that. And um, the only thing that, that feels like, I think maybe deserves a little bit more of a moment is piggybacking on this last thing that you said, um, because th that hits very close to home. You know, um, I have been, a too much woman my whole life. 
I was that little kid that was loud. I was that little kid that was always, I, I, I am designed <laughs> to be visible and to take up space. That's just who I am and not even trying. Um, and I found that I developed a fear around being visible because my visibility rubbed a lot of people the wrong way for a very long time. And within my spiritual process, I did some work um, to make myself invisible and actually really enjoyed that and liked being under the radar and liked being behind the scenes and not taking up space and spending more time listening than talking. Um, and I've come around to that middle ground again, where I'm realizing that if I was designed the way that I was designed is because there is something about my service that needs that skill set or that needs yeah. that particular design in order to do what it needs to do. If I'm going to let the work work through me, then I can't ignore the bigger parts of my toolkit. And not being afraid of my power mm -hmm. was the biggest thing that I'm still working with um, because I'm, I'm starting to realize how powerful I can be. And I literally have to talk to myself every day and be like, okay, are you owning this because you're seeing yourself as a vessel or is your ego starting to get into that conversation and, and really doing the work to make the work about the work, but also not being afraid to use my ego, use ego as, as a vehicle. Yes, yes, yes. Right. So if, if yes, I could just say anything to your audience to leave them with is humility does not equal self-deprecation. You can be humble and powerful as fuck. <laughs> just understand that that power is something greater coming through you, but don't be afraid of it. You came to this earth with gifts. Don't fucking waste them. Yeah. If you are designed to take up space, take up space, but just realize that it isn't about you. Yeah. If you're designed to be maybe quieter and be detail oriented, then do that, but find a way of channeling that productively. It doesn't make it any less valuable just because our society places a lot of an emphasis on, um, extroverts doesn't mean if you're an introvert that you don't have anything to contribute. Your job is literally to figure out what your gift is and how to become a vehicle for it to, to find its way into the world. Do not be afraid of your power and do not define power in any one way. Cause that's just silly. I almost want to like start yelling over here. I'm like, yeah. When, when are you running for president? <laughs> <laughs> right. Oh, well, oh, couldn't agree more. Couldn't just this, this is going to keep working on new conversation. And um, yeah. Lastly, I guess, I mean, I'm kind of dumbfounded now, but it's like, woohoo, how does it get better? Um, how can people find you? Oh, yes. Thank you. Thank you for that. So um, I'm trying to transition more towards Instagram. It's, it's a medium that speaks a lot to me. So you can find me at 
Hey Namaste. Um, on Facebook, I have a Namaste page as well. It's you know Facebook.com forward slash Hey Namaste. Um, I have a channel on YouTube called Namaste Media. Um, you can find me on my website at namasme.com. That's where I put all of my blog posts and any events that I have coming up. But um, also you can shoot me an email. I love just chatting with people yeah. who have heard any content that has been put out there. And I love hearing what that stirs up in people. That's part of what keeps me motivated yeah. to make more content. So if this resonated, send me a note. Um, you can reach me at hey at uh, namasme.com. Oh, thank you. Yeah, you're so approachable. You're so sweet. You're so kind and you're just rocking it. And I am really inspired. So thank, you. thank you, Mona. And uh, yeah, everyone, we will have um, Mona's, all of her links that she just mentioned. If you're like, oh, I just forgot what she said already, like me, you have a sieve brain. Uh, we will have them all posted next to this episode. So Thank you, beautiful lady, for joining me for this. Thank you so session. much for having me. And what can we all create now after this amazing discussion that creates? And I will speak to you all next time. Bye. Well, another amazing discussion with my friend Mona on the Discussions at Fate podcast. Please let us know what your greatest takeaways from this episode were, what you loved about it. Any questions you have for either Mona or I, we will have the opportunity for you to ask them. And if you love this podcast, please share it with your friends uh, using the hashtag discussions that create podcast. And I'll see you next time on discussions that create. Thank you.